0: Welcome to Second Win, the podcast, where we uncover the stories, methods, and modalities of women and men who have found their purpose while walking this earth. Sometimes they found their second win by accident, sometimes by hardship, and sometimes by intent. There is always something to learn from others and really isn't finding our own purpose what we are all looking for. I know I am, and that's why I'm hosting this very podcast. My name is Wendy Charles McGuire. Thank you for listening, and let's get to it. Second wind, I'd love to introduce you to Christina Caldwell. Little different because back in 2015, I was lucky enough to be part of an eight-person all-woman team, the third ever in the 35-year history of the race across America. We did it on bicycles, not on motorcycles. And not only was I a team member, but our team was also focused on raising awareness and funding for then my 501c3 Pedal for Pets. And Christina was an acquaintance of one of the team members who, one of her friends, and she was asked to come share her training and coaching wisdom with us to help us eight women be able to ride our bikes on and off through this tandem thing from California to Maryland. And I was so impressed with Christina that I felt like I probably needed a little extra help. So I hired her to help me individually train for the race. And that was six years ago. We've been in touch on and off ever since. I've been following her and her business. But Christina herself, and why I asked her to be on Second Win the Podcast is because Christina has redirected her coaching. And during this last six years, she's become a mother, not once but twice. And she also finally came to terms with and now shares her almost lifelong journey with her biggest secret ever, which was her own bulimia. And now at 41, Christina feels she is definitely in her second wind. And I'm so excited to have you, Christina. You're just a wonderful soul, and I I just love talking to you anyway. So welcome to Second Wind, the podcast.
1: Thank you. Thank you for the nice introduction. I'm excited to be here and excited to chat with everybody. So thank you so welcome as I trip over my words, but that will
0: change Let's just let that medicine start working. But anyway, moving right along, girlfriend, you told me there was definitely a moment, a defining moment for you when you said enough
1: is enough. Can you tell us about that? Yes. I feel like i have sure. I was like, I feel like I have had so many different moments in my life where I was like, you know what, I should probably stop this. Or this is, this has been going on long enough. Like I'm a professional, I should be able to stop this. But finally, I said to myself, I'd like to start a family. I don't want to ever have to worry about bringing this illness, this condition, you know, to other people to be around other people to be pregnant and feel like, I have to throw up because of you know how my stomach looks or being pregnant. And I said, I want to get pregnant. I want to have a family. I don't want this condition, this disorder to impact any more aspects of my life. I'm done. And then I said, that's it. I'm just, I'm fed up. And I just said, I'm done. That was it. That moment I said, I'm ready to start a family and I know I can't do this to anyone else. It'd been too long doing it to myself. Were you like, in the midst
0: of something happening at that moment or like what do you know what I mean sometimes it's a thing or somebody said something or something showed up in a
1: magazine article or you know what I mean is there a moment honestly I really just I had been struggling with the disorder for so long that. And for so long, I didn't want to change. I had no desire to change. I liked my secret. I liked the the comfort of knowing that I could go and you know get my food and binge and purge and feel feel the comfort that I had needed with you know with that the binging and purging. And I just I hated the secrecy. I hated I hated having to follow the rituals. I felt like I was being controlled by something outside of myself, and I didn't want that feeling anymore. There was no specific, you know, article, there was no specific, you know, even person that said I, I was with my husband, but he wasn't giving an ultimatum. He wasn't like, Oh, if you don't change, I'll leave you nothing like that. It was really my own. You know, I'm tired. I'm, I'm exhausted of this secrets. I'm exhausted of the rituals. And they did provide something for me for such a long time that I I, I kept them. <laughs> they were mine. <laughs> I kept them, but I decided I was just you know, I just I was ready, and i I went to my she was a social worker, actually therapist, and I said, "You know what? I want to have children. I don't want to bring this into anyone else's life i I don't want my family to have to feel like they have to tiptoe around with food. I don't want them to have to feel like there's any secrets or shame. And I just wanted to be totally open and I went to my my counselor and I just said, "I'm ready. I'm done. It's time to make a change." And from that moment, I said, Enough is enough, and I am I'm ready to move forward and to make a change. And from that day I did. <laughs> wasn't like that's it. I snapped my fingers and I'm I'm done. But
0: <laughs> that right was, It
1: wasn't that changed. easy, but the decision no. was a long time coming. Long time it was coming. a long time coming. There were many times I had thought I should do this, I'm gonna do this, but I didn't have a big enough driver, I didn't have a big enough reason to stop until. I said, I don't want to bring anyone else into the world or into my life, into the secret. I just want to be, quote unquote, normal. (laughs) I don't want to have this, the secret anymore. Well, thank
0: you for sharing that. So let's go back and find out how does this lovely woman sitting in front of me and as a very established athlete yourself, how did this even happen to you or for you?
1: However you want to say. It it definitely That was also a long time coming, a lot of pressure put on myself by myself, a lot of any of that internal, I must be, I must be the best at what I do. I must be this amazing swimmer, which is where I started in my athletic career, started off as a swimmer. How old were you when you started swimming? Eight, I think, either seven or eight. (laughs) So I think eight, and I wasn't good. (laughs) I was definitely not good (laughs) when I was younger. And I had this drive, this need to be to be better, to show people that I was good at something, that I could kind of stand out and be good at something instead of just kind of standing in the background and being kind of like what you feel like you're just kind of in the background. And I just wanted something that I was good at, something to kind of just say, hey, world, I'm here. I'm good at something. And I loved that. I loved the competition, the drive. I'm very type A. So that drive to practice every day to be better, to, you know, just to kind of push yourself, just really thrived on that. And that kind of started that pattern of that type A being very meticulous about your training and your nutrition. And so while when I was younger, I wasn't certainly wasn't throwing up, I started to really be observant of what I was eating and thinking to myself, you know, well, do I really want this food? Do I need this food? Is this going to make me quote unquote fat? And so Mm -hmm. that was definitely the start. And, you know, so, you know, it's so terrible. Well, family- no, it's no, it's not terrible. What I'm
0: thinking is, is how we as women, and you're now the fourth woman and the second one on the show, I've interviewed a few women at different stages of their lives where I feel like we all have some kind of wacky freaking relationship with food. All of us Definitely. in some weird way. I just haven't met a woman yet who doesn't have a weird relationship with food.
1: I honestly don't think I've met anyone. And there's even statistics out there that, that show it is children, you know, in that eight, nine, 10 years. By that time, that's when women really do start to formulate ideas of a good food, a bad food. Good you or know, bad, just- that's right. Saying, Will that make me fat? Will yeah. that food
0: make me fat? That's so screwed up that we are looking at it like that. Instead of, well, that have the nutritional value that I need right now to fuel me for what I'm doing right now. Or do exactly. I just want to eat that because it's delicious and
1: I want to eat that and I'm not going to worry about it, right? It, it would be so nice if we looked at food from the nutrient density. How is this going to make me feel? Is this going to help me recover faster from a training standpoint? Is it going to make me have energy all day? Is it delicious? And I think that's so many times kids watch their parents, they watch their peers, and you start to pick up on even, you know, things, commercials, maybe not magazines so much because they're not as popular. But you know, growing up you look at, you know, oh, this person looks like this, or you see them, you know, models on TV. Or now, unfortunately, with things like Instagram and Facebook, you have influencers yeah. that can shift and change their filters and Photoshop their, I'm gonna make my waist thinner today. And then people, young children. Boys and girls are seeing these images that are not accurate. And so I do really worry about the younger generation believing that what they're seeing is real when in fact it's almost all filters and Photoshop and things That's like that. That's such a good point, Christina. It's almost like Instagram
0: is like this generation's cosmopolitan or, yes. you know, like those magazines or yes. Shape was a big one when I was growing up.
1: Oh yes, shape. Shape is definitely something I would get. (laughs) Where are these? I would always look for shape or fitness. I wish my thighs could look like that, but that's how
0: we're designed. But let's go back. So you're swimming and you want to stand out. Why do you think that is? Why is that a thing for you?
1: I think. I mean, I definitely felt like I had pressure from myself, but you know, also pressure just because. Our family was very driven. You know, everyone, you know, we wanted to be good at everything, A very, you know, successful family or upbringing. We wanted to be the best that we could. Everyone had to, you know, strive to be the best at something. And it just showed that you were putting in an effort. You were, you know, you were trying. If you studied hard enough, you should get A's. If you train hard enough, you're going to be successful. And I wanted to be that person that was the intelligent one who got good grades and the one that worked hard in the pool and swam fast and I wanted to, you know, to eventually to swim in college and to kind of show that I was someone worth knowing is the best way to say it. Got it's you, yeah. you know I just, I skipped over a lot of years there. <laughs> but okay. okay. So you get, so and you're doing well.
0: You end up getting to college. I through. did. I
1: ended up swimming in college the division one school, which had been my dream. My dream really had been to make it to the Olympics, which did definitely did not come to fruition. But my dream was to go to a division one swimming school or swim for the school and really just, you know, show the people at home in my town that again, that the feeling of, you know, hey, she's, you know, she knows she's been able to do something with herself. She is someone I should want to know or you know there was a, a lot of feelings when I was younger that you know I wasn't good enough. I didn't have the most popular friends. I wasn't the most you know the coolest kid. <laughs> and you know that's that was really challenging as a teenager to not feel like you were the one that always was invited to the parties, the one that was you know the more the popular and so i I threw myself into swimming, something that I knew I loved and gave me the outlet that I needed, and I thought. Again, if I use something to kind of as a catalyst to make me stronger, you know, better, able to be more successful that over time that I'd look back and say, you know, look at look how far I've come. Look at how much I've accomplished and, you know, just all of these feelings of if I do something well enough, people will notice.
0: Absolutely. And if you're the and the person, so that's what I did. I, yeah. If you're the person winning races, people are going
1: to gravitate towards you people want to be with winners, winners. Exactly. Um, it's the, that, that winning mentality. They want to be with winners. That's exactly, I wasn't able to, you know, verbalize it to myself, but looking back now, I can clearly see what I was doing without knowing what I was doing. Right, right, right. And then, so what were you studying in college? Cause that, cause you ended up becoming
0: very, very good at coaching and you even started your own well, business. So you. How did that
1: start? I did. So it didn't start like that. Okay. I started off. It didn't know. I I actually started off again. Type A, believing I had to be really good at something. I started off in pre med, deciding that I was going to be a doctor. And well, I absolutely awesome. love my body. <laughs> with my that type A, like I'm going to be the best. Yeah. Exactly. So. I was like, okay, great. Here we go. Pre-med, pre-med all the way. And I just love my physiology classes. I loved everything about the human body. It just fascinated me until I got to microbiology. And I love microbiology. It's kind of weird to say, but you know, the germs, the bacteria, the viruses, I love how your whole body works together as one. And I just realized though that like in the classes and the labs that I was doing, I was like, this is super interesting. But this is not me. Like, I don't want to be in a lab. I picked it because I felt like I should pick it versus yeah. like, let me actually think about what I want to do. And so it took me first, the first two years of undergraduate to be like, you know what? And then that's kind actually kind of when, then that's when the eating disorder really took a very strong hold is in those first two years of university. And so it was a very why? challenging time between three. Why, why, Sorry. why those two years? Just because that was like, the first time i'd been in a well i hadn't been to college before so that collegiate swimming environment was different was new so you're trying to juggle college classes which are so much tougher than you know high school classes that collegiate kind of swimming where you're swimming twice a day which i was used to but that just the expectation of you know going to class getting good grades having that the swimming trying to have like the social aspect of college and everything was just just tough. I was, you know, about 10 hours from home, which I was looking forward to because I wanted to be far enough away that I could have my own life, but close enough. I could go home if I needed, but it was just a hard transition. And I just really felt like between the stress of college and then our swim coach, unfortunately would do things like weigh us, would encourage, encourage one of the other girls on the team who I believe was anorexic. He would put her up on the pedestal and say, see, you all should be looking like her. And so that was like the kind of the start of, well, here I've got this underlying, you know, maybe like disordered eating thoughts and patterns, but it wasn't, you know, anything yet until I was like, you know, oh, okay. I am going to strive to be like her, you know, so you're just digging yourself into this bigger and deeper hole. And that's kind of like, that was the catalyst I needed between like the stress of class and kind of seeing who I should Look like, and who I should emulate on the team. But my body which you only see a headshot here, but I am muscular. <laughs> I am solid. I am not a she was a very tall, lean, almost like a dancer's body. Very mm. much, not my physique, just genetically. Round, tall, so. square, peg. I mean, seriously, it was very hard, very hard. And as a teenager, because I was still t- a teenager at the time. To have someone like a coach telling you, this is who you should be looking up to. This is who you should be emulating. And to not, and I wasn't as successful as I wanted to be in school. So I wasn't or I'm sorry, in school and in swimming. I was swimming so hard, but the pressure I'd put on myself, you know, I think just negatively affected my performance. The fact that I was purposely, I started off, I like purposely trying to eat less and less So I did start off with more of an anorexia before the bulimia came. And I kept thinking to myself, I need to just eat less. I need to eat less and get thinner. And the coach will, you know, be impressed. He'll be like, oh, she's working really hard. She's looking better. Like, I just was, you know, that people pleaser. Like, I just wanted to, you know, show the coach and others like, hey, she's working hard. She's doing what I'm asking. So it was a lot of people pleasing.
0: Yeah, it was <laughs> funny. And we talked about this briefly because, you know, I was just running track and cross country and all those things in high school. And there was a gal and she was anorexic at the time. And we were friends and she would win races and I would come in second. Mm-hmm. And when I would win, I would equate that to me being more like her and maybe not eating as much or just having a half a peanut butter jelly sandwich for the entire day and then running on adrenaline and being able to beat her. And it was like, oh, and you do. It's not as much as you think I need, it's for looks. It's like, I want to be as successful as that person and look what that person's doing. And that's why they're successful. And that starts a whole nother cycle. I just think that happens a lot.
1: Yeah, it happens so much. And I do think it's, it's definitely the, you know, almost like a self-validation that okay, if I eat less, I'm gonna get thinner, which is gonna make me faster. More mm-hmm. people will like me or think that I'm, you know, successful. And it's like this, it's like this cycle that you tell yourself something and then you're like, Oh yeah, I'm you believe it. And then it just it's this perpetual. It's just kind of like this begets this, begets this. And so it's you know, like everything I needed just kind of circled, you know, into like, okay, here I am. And and I was, I was like also in a sorority, which it wasn't the tr- like the traditional or typical, like a Southern sorority where you have a like big, I don't know, I think on like balls or something like it was the school in Ohio I went to. So it wasn't like that, but it was definitely, there was a certain aspect of, you know, of looks that were involved. And certainly as I was getting thinner and thinner, more people were like, oh, you look so good. And, you know, especially men. And that was something I was not used to having a male, you know, say like, oh, wow, like you look great, you know, whatever you're doing or like just noticing you, you know, at a party. And so that gives you even more validation that what you're doing is, is good because right. it's, it's, you're like, oh, great. I'm just going to eat even less. It's like, sure. I can get smaller now. Like, so it is definitely something that. Yeah. More fuel to the fire, right? It does. So- adds more fuel to the fire. And so that was, you know, that was kind of like everything coming together. It was, you know, swimming was hard. I was under fueling. Classes were hard. You know but i was getting thinner you know people like guys were noticing me just all this pressure and so then you're you're i'm in these pre-med classes which is what i was enjoying doing but finally coming to the realization that i just you know i just can't keep i can't keep going with everything with you know with these classes and you know with swimming and everything just so that kind of all came to a head and honestly i can't remember what changed first if I had to go to treatment or if I changed my majors, I don't remember which one came first, but at some point after my sophomore year, I was told I would have to start treatment or I would be taken out of school. And so now who decided that? How did that come about? So that was my family. And like, so talking to, it was like the swim coach and just, you know, I was getting weaker and weaker and just couldn't keep up. And I just was, you know, not having the success that this other person was. And I just, I didn't want to leave school. And I, and I hated to stop swimming, but I was so sick at this point and just so down and so depressed that I had to stop swimming because I was too weak that it just kind of everything came to a head. I was, you know, in this depression saying, you know, like, you know, why is it even worth, you know, worth being here, worth you know, worth living. It didn't get ever as bad as being suicidal at that point, but that's literally how you feel. Like, why, what's the even point? Like, you know, I'm here to swim. I'm here to make these big things happen in my life. And here I am being told I can't swim. I have to go to inpatient therapy, you know, or leave school. And it was just this kind of anger or like frustration of, no, I'm not going to, I'll, I'll go to therapy or I'll go to my inpatient counseling. But I, you can't make me eat,
0: and that's mm-hmm.
1: that's when the bulimia really started. It was because I developed this defiance of you can't tell me what to do. You might be able to force me to come here, but I will not eat, and or I will eat and I will throw it up because I just didn't want it in my body. And I was like, that was my like I pretend control because when you have an eating disorder, you believe you're in control when you're really not in control. So that was my brain, my control saying. I'm in control. I'm going to just throw up what you're telling me to eat. That's when the bulimia started my, in between my sophomore and junior year of university. And then you changed majors also. Then I changed majors. I changed to exercise physiology and nutrition. And you'll find that, and this, I don't know the statistic here, but you'll find that a lot of people in nutrition have either disordered eating patterns or have eating disorders. That makes sense. So a lot of, a lot of the people that were in my classes, I, one specifically sticking out definitely was anorexic and it's just, it's something that you gravitate towards things you're either good at, you know, you understand, or you want to learn more about. And I wanted to learn more about not only the human body, but about food maybe as a way to control even more, but also like just the intricacies, like what are calories? You know, why do you gain weight? How do you lose weight? And so it was a way to still do something with the human body, but have a bit more almost like control over the nutrition and the exercise side of things. Gotcha.
0: So take us down the path now. So you've changed. Mm -hmm. You go to treatment, Mm -hmm. you get to stay in college, Mm -hmm. stop swimming. Yep. And then what happens?
1: So then I really throw myself into being bulimic (laughs) as, you know, like, I'm like, if I can't swim. And, you know, I, I had no outlet for my stress. And I believed that I was, you know, just needing something. And every time I threw up, I got the release that I needed. And so it wasn't the binging that, for me at least, and I don't want to speak for anyone else, but it's not the eating of the food. You, you feel out of control. You feel almost manic when you're eating. And then you just want that release. And so every time you get that release, that's, you know, cathartic. And you're like, oh, thank goodness. Like, I'm okay. And so, you know, I, I was able to hide, you know, hide that. I think, I don't think anyone knew that I was bulimic and, you know, in that time. And, you know, I just kind of dove, you know, more into my school and focused on my new exercise physiology and nutrition. And I loved my classes and I loved, I loved learning. I really just felt drawn to that area. And, you know, like at that time, like that's the same, the same time frame where I was 20. So that was in between like that sophomore and junior year. And that's really when I decided that I wasn't going to have any more regrets in my life. Up until that point, I'd I'd had a lot of regrets, I felt. And I felt like there was a lot of things that had happened that even if they weren't in my control, I wasn't just happy about my life and where it had taken from, you know, childhood up until 20. And I said, I remember exactly where I was. And I remember... Like sitting there and thinking to myself, today is the last day I have a regret. And I, in the last 21 years, I have never had a regret. I mean, I sometimes will think like, well, that kind of (laughs) stinks. But I always believe that no matter what decision I make, whatever bad happens because of something I've done, bad or good, something will come of it that was meant to come of it. And I can't look back and say, why? Why did I do that? And I just have to say, I did it or it was done and I'm moving forward. No more looking back. That's pretty cool at that
0: young age to do that. So you graduate and and mm-hmm. you decide to
1: what? Now you're still bulimic.
0: Nobody knows.
1: I'm still bulimic. No one knows. I decide I'm gonna go back to where I'm from in New York, and I got a job at both an athletic club, which is like a high end gym, working as a personal trainer, teaching spin class. Strength and conditioning, I was lifting with personal training, but the strength side of things, and then also working at the hospital in cardiology. So we did the cardiac cath lab, there's cardiac rehab, cardiac stress tests, because my next thought was, well, you know what, I love, I love the human body, I should maybe be a physician's assistant. So, you know, not not fully going the med school route, but sure, PA sounds like a good option. So I said to myself, let's explore that route. At the same time, you know, diving fully into the training and nutrition side of helping athletes, you need to work out all day, not all day, but the days that I wasn't at the hospital or the hours at the hospital are kind of cool and that you're, you're working maybe four tens, And so then you have three days off for training or you're out of the hospital at four in the afternoon. So then you have more time to go train. So it really helps me in a negative way to dive even further into the bulimia, into the overexercise into mm-hmm. just kind of like living my life as kind of that dual in one side and you know in the hospital and the other side over exercising and into the eating disorder and how long do you do that so for? yeah so coaching but, hadn't even started yet <laughs> so
0: I mean let let you, me were, you were point
1: so in the gym I mean you were starting. yes coaching in the gym yeah. Yeah. encouraging encouraging people in the gym and actually I was even coaching swim lessons at that point because being a swimmer when I came back my high school coach who This is the most amazing person ever, never, ever would have ever told me anything about my weight. He would have never, ever said anything about even my times. Like he wouldn't care. You know, he's an amazing amazing person. He wouldn't care, you know, how, how good or how fast you are. So he's definitely was a big influence in my life. Sorry. And I'm not going to tear up, but came back and I worked with him and did some swim lessons. And I loved swim lessons because obviously swimming is very dear to me and it's my home. In the pool, I feel at home, you know, I was able to work with the eight and unders. So Mm -hmm. the little itty bitty ones who you just plop them in the water and they just splash around (laughs) and like kick and you're teaching them how to swim. And it's just, it was so much fun. It was just so much fun to get to work with the little ones and to see him again. And just to get to come back to a place that felt so familiar and comforting being back in the pool. So I said, that was my first coaching. (laughs) And then what happened? So how do we get to where you start your own business? Oh, gosh. So at that point, I was at the hospital. And I didn't mention this, but back when I was a couple of years earlier, I think you know this, but I had taken a trip to Australia. And I had met someone there who was a rugby player and who was from South Africa. And we hit it off. And we were almost like pen pals like back in the day. We actually wrote hand letters to each other. Like we'd send, we'd send gifts like in the mail, just, you know, just really good friends. And he would talk about South Africa, like the most amazing, beautiful country, the most amazing people. And I'd always wanted to see it. And so when I was working at the hospital, I was making a pretty good income and I did a lot of overtime. And because I was single and I wasn't really needing to like, you know, people had families like, Oh, I'll take your call. So I made extra money and I saved up and I decided I was going to go to South Africa. (laughs) So I, you know, without knowing anyone there and no one was like, I was like, who wants to come with me? And no one did. (laughs) So I just decided I was going to go by myself and I did. So I booked myself for a couple of weeks and made like a tentative plan because I figured I should have an outline of sorts of where I was going to go when. And the first, couple days I was there I made a booking at a place called Tingala, which is a I don't know if it's even there still. I hope it is but it's a small game lodge for only for photography not like hunting but photography and there was no electricity and so I arrive and I am just this like totally naive like I don't even remember my exact age but young 20s He's a totally naive person, you know. Never been in a country like South Africa, and just no idea what I'm doing. But I'm like, I'm adventurous. I am young. I am. I can do this, you know. You know, I'm woman. Hear me roar. I'm. Yeah. I was to say that. I'm very like. I can do this. Yeah. I get to the town's called Hootsprit. So I get to Hootsprit, and I was picked up in this little like Jeep, like Range Rover, and I was like, oh, this is so exciting. <laughs> And I get to this small, like eight person, this eight person lodge. And I meet the most wonderful woman and she was Australian. And I was like, oh, she's so sweet. I was like, this is so nice. Such a nice welcome to South Africa. And she was like, oh my gosh, well, I have a son who's about your age and he's here too. And I was like, oh, fun. But then she's like, oh, but he's sleeping. And I was like, oh my gosh, like who sleeps at like, you know, two or three o'clock in the afternoon in South Africa when there's, you know, elephants walking by, like who's just lazing about, you know? And so I was like, my first thought was, oh, what a bum. (laughs) And I feel bad, but you know, that was my first thought. But you know, long story short, he wasn't a bum. He does like to sleep, but he wasn't (laughs) sleeping. (laughs) He was actually in town. I think his boots had a hole in them and he had to get new hiking boots. So I met his family as him, his brother, and his mom. And so we just hit it off. We decided to keep in touch. I guess like the pen pal kind of thing. But at this point, there was internet. So we kept in touch. and, And, you know, at this point, I was like, well, let's see if there's a connection. And from there, I was like, well, I can work anywhere with a hospital job. Let me see if I can transfer or, you know, change jobs and just move where he is. And if it doesn't work out, Hey, I'll
0: Christine. Uh, so so yeah. you guys started dating, obviously.
1: Yes. Yeah, so point, dating, you're,
0: you're like, Oh, we should probably try to be together at some. Yes. Point.
1: Like, let's see if it's going to actually work out versus seeing each other, like maybe a weekend and then a couple weeks and then maybe a weekend because we were all the way across the country mm-hmm. and he was in Oregon. And I was like, I've never been to Oregon. Sounds like a fun state. They have all sorts of trail running and mountain biking and I was like, that sounds up right up my alley. I may as well go, and if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. And so that's kind of the and next, the next adventure. I w- and I went. Okay. Yeah. And what happened there? So, still having my eating disorder, just and able to cover. No, it. He didn't know. So, he had no idea, and that's I was nice. able to cover it. I was good at you know at that point. I was really good at covering, and so I was able to you know carry on this you know relationship. And, you know, again, his mom, who was in actually in Oregon, just a super, super awesome, nice, nice person, had no idea. And it was a struggle, but I was combining my overexercising still with my nutrition. On the outside, everyone would look and see like, oh, you're such a healthy eater. Oh, you're making, I don't, they didn't say making such good choices. I'm not sure what the, but it was like, oh my gosh, you're eating so healthy. And then, you know, on the flip side, I would go to the grocery store and go buy cake or cookies and secretly, you know, eat it, binge on it, purge, feel better, go back to my life of I'm athletic and eating healthy and, you know, just training. And I'm this, it's perfect, this perfect person of good health and nutrition with this secret, secret bulimia. And you said you had a routine going for that. Oh, I did. What to
0: eat, how to eat it, when to throw up.
1: Yep. All that. How things. to hide it, where to throw it away if I wasn't like if I was I had a Jeep Wrangler. So if I was in my Jeep Wrangler, where could I go and throw up the food? Where could I throw up? Where could I put the bag? If I was throwing up in the bag so no one would see it, if I was in a bathroom, where how would people not hear me? So I had all sorts of just depending on where I was or what the situation was, what you know, what did I need to in order to keep this this hidden? It's like exhausting. so no one else, you know, found out it is. It's, it's mentally, mentally, it's physically exhausting. Your, you know, your, your throat's always sore. You're have indigestion or heartburn all the time. You're, you know, you're just, your face is puffy. Your electrolytes are off because you're always throwing up. So you're, you can cause a heart attack from throwing up. I thankfully never caused myself to have a heart attack, but you're just, you're always playing this game of covering and, you know, like getting to the next meal or getting to the next throw up, like, how can I get to my next binge and purge? And so it's almost like this, you're just you're always looking for the next binge and purge. And so for so long, I was loving, you know, Brett, and I loved our our life. And, you know, we, we had a dog. So I had a ridgeback back named Rogue. And, you know, I loved our little family. And, you know, yeah, but you it was exhausting. And you guys got married. We and- got married. And we, yeah, we decided we were going to wait to have kids because we both wanted to, we love traveling and we wanted to just explore and we weren't ready for, we weren't ready to settle down. And he didn't again know about the eating disorder at that point. And I, in my head was like, oh, I'm not ready to like, I thought to myself, Oh my gosh, I don't want to gain 40 pounds. Like that's like the thing the thing you think about is like oh, I don't want to gain <laughs> yeah <laughs> I don't want to gain weight it's like I'm working so hard to like you know to not be fat or to not like all these things like you equate food with like oh my gosh I'm gonna get fat oh my gosh people where are going people are gonna think about me they're not gonna love me they're you know not gonna want to be friends like all of this self you know like this self almost like it's self-harm but it's like Lack of love, like lack of self-love, that you believe that people will only like you if you're thin. They'll only like you if you're a good athlete. They'll only right. like you if you're smart, you know, a successful. All of these things. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of how the like that progression manifested, you know, with him. You, well, and you and started the, your own you know.
0: like fitness business, right, with your husband. Yeah. So
1: that like there's, I feel like like as an entrepreneur, like there's something inside of us that it, almost like it needs to come out, like. We don't like I love working in the hospital. I loved working the gym, but it's almost like you need something that isn't satisfied by just going to a job and working it. You need to have your own space. You need to be your own boss. You almost like need to call your own shots. You it's like they like this bone that you're born with that just it's like this need, this like you have this extra thing in your body that you need to have your be your own boss. And, and I've always just loved coaching from back those eight and unders that were just so awesome. And at that point. I just wanted to be able to offer something to athletes as a sa- almost like a safe place to come to feel, but that they could come in and ask questions for running and triathlon and cycling and swimming and just be that resource for people. Because I knew so many, so many, at this point I'd done Ironman and I, you know, I'd been doing half Ironman and Ironman oh, an and athlete, right? You kept doing races, yes. and pushing your body. Yes, I yeah. And I loved it. I loved pushing my body, the ability to push my body almost to that brink of how far can I push myself before I break that feeling of that need almost Mm -hmm. it was, it was satisfying that need to, again, to show people that, Hey, here's this tough, this tough person who can push herself. Who is this person that, you know, and I was a good athlete. I was fat know I was fast at one point, you know, I was. I was eating enough with bulimia. You tend to eat so much that you can never throw it all up. So that's why a lot of bulimics don't look like they have an eating disorders because they have, they're either normal weight or slightly overweight. And I was, at some points, I was overweight and sometimes I was normal weight. And so you generally tend to have enough calories on board that you can fuel your training because you are not, not like anorexia, where you are so self limiting in your calories that you don't have the energy that you, your body starts to eat the muscles because you're not feeling enough. That's where you start to eat those muscles and you're too weak. So you swing, the pendulum had swung where I had plenty of calories and I was able to train hard and race hard and race long. And I found, you know, when I was younger, I definitely had bullying happen to me, which didn't help anything of my younger days. And I found in the triathlon community, even the running community, Not the trail running community. I'm going to separate them. The trail running community, I've always found to be very warm and opening and welcoming. But in the triathlon community, the cycling community, at times the road running community, I did find a lot of maybe harsher attitudes, ego driven successes, having to look a certain way, be a certain speed. And I always felt like I wanted to have to be a voice for people who wanted to train and race to make themselves feel good, to be better but maybe they were you know, have, working a full-time job and they didn't have enough time, energy, money to spend on training 30 hours a week to become this elite level athlete. But hey, they wanted to train for an Ironman. Hey, they wanted to do a marathon. And I wanted to be that kind of that person, that shop, that experience for those athletes to be there. So that's how the shop started. I opened up and trained and we had compute trainers, which maybe people don't know about these days. But cycling, you know, cycling trainers and TRX and strength and, you know, treadmills we ran, we swam together. It was a lot of fun. It sounds like a lot of stress, but a lot of you're married and you
0: have your business and you're doing the things you love and tying it all up with a pretty bow. And yet you're still throwing up. Like it doesn't make sense, right?
1: It doesn't. And like in looking back, it's like, you know, why, why did I do that to myself? And I, truly believe that it was it still stemmed from feeling lack of self love like feeling rejected, whether it was from myself or from others you know previously, I just felt like I wasn't worthy enough, even though you know I had a great husband and you know family and my mother in law you know was in Oregon and so you know super helpful and and nice and caring and couldn't care how I looked or how fast I was and she just yeah she just laughs anyway like you know, like a 5k, she would be like, you know, no, thank you. <laughs> like well, she couldn't care that. less. And so I had all these wonderful people and I still just didn't feel, I didn't feel like I was worthy enough to have it to, you know, and I, I use that, that bulimia as a way to, you know, just to feel like I was in control of, you know, no one's going to hurt me. No one is going to, no one is going to tell me, you know, like that I'm not good enough. Cause I'm telling myself that, and I was able to control my own emotions my own self with the bulimia so it's like instead of like having emotions be put on me from other people I was putting those emotions on myself and almost like protecting myself because I was like if anyone's gonna do it I'm gonna do it to myself that kind of like that weird it's it's messed up it's not what I want people to like listen and be like oh that sounds great no no (laughs) uh, I I want you to be able to recognize that that's not normal and I don't know about you but when somebody would say oh you look great you'd be like you dismiss it, right? Oh, it's- totally. You're like, oh, thank you. And I still no, I struggle don't. with that. Like my husband will still say, oh, you look like I had actually had a Zoom call with someone earlier today and I didn't have any makeup on. And she's like, oh, you look really pretty today. And I'm like, oh, no, I don't. I don't have any makeup on. You know, yeah. like, it's like it's, it's still bad. hard for me to take compliments, even though I'm in a totally different place emotionally, physically, you know, spiritually, it's still hard to say, well, thank you. Just stop say, thank you, full stop. That's something we all struggle with. And it's, you know, it's something I still do work on. In
0: In our second wind
1: is, yes,
0: take it at face value, be your own person, self-love, self-care and all that good stuff. Now, is it in the story, there was a moment, because you were talking about your mother-in-law where you were Mm -hmm. sitting at the table with her
1: and you let your secret out. I did. I did. And I I had told my husband at that point. You had told your husband. I had told my husband at that point. What do you say to him? I've been throwing up all this time. Like, how do you even (sighs) say that? I actually invited him to, because even though I, so I started in counseling in college, right, with the, like the, in group. Mm -hmm. And then I also had to have a psychiatrist because they started me on medication in college. And then when I moved to New York from Ohio, I actually prefer social workers, I find. So I started with a a social worker who was an amazing therapist and she is just such a good person. She's retired or I would send everyone to her. So she was then. And then I moved to Oregon and I'm like, well, I better keep up my therapy (laughs) because I've got a lot of things to work on. And even though I was still throwing up, I still went to therapy. And so one day I told my therapist, like, I think I want to tell my husband And so I invited him to come in to therapy with me. Oh, wow. And I forget exactly how I said it. But I said something like, you know, Brett, would you mind? Because he knew I went to therapy once a week. And I said, would you mind coming with me to therapy? And it was very hard, you know, very hard to tell the secret because there's a lot of shame involved with, you know, number one, you've kept some a secret for so long. And number two, here I am this like quintessential, like healthy athlete. That's a good, you know, healthy eater. That, t- you know, it's teaching other people how to be healthy. And here I am hiding the secret. And it's like, will he reject you? Like, where it looks like in your head, like, will he reject you? Will he feel like you are less of a person because you have this secret? But I knew that I had to tell him. I just knew I had to to share because I feel like you can't be, you can't truly be with someone like fully if you're hiding something. Right. And so after all these years, I was like, okay, I'm going to tell him. And so then I told him with in counseling with her. And to be honest, I can't even remember how he took it. He probably was. He's a very quiet person at times. And I'm picturing our room we are sitting in, but I don't remember his exact words. And I'm sure it was something like, OK, and then like not sure like how to take it. And I remember saying something like, it's nothing you need to fix. It's nothing you have done. It's nothing with you. This is all me. And I just want you to now be let into my like world, the secret world. And so from that point, I still threw up. I was still, you know, still, still. But at at one point I said to myself, well, we are often at his mother or my mother-in-law's, his mother's house. And she always had so many of my trigger foods and that's not to say that she shouldn't have had them because it's again it's on me not on her but I did want to tell her that I was struggling and that often when I'd go to her house
0: well hold on Christina trigger foods meaning things that you would want to
1: binge on yes so certainly like a steak I would never binge on a steak or a nice salmon filet like that's just not something that like you'd be like, mm, I'm just going to eat, you know, like all this steak and then throw it up. Like so that was not like for me, a trigger food was going to be a simple carbohydrate, something that's going to be, you know, high in sugar, cookies, cake, you know, any kind of pastry, any kind of, you know, pastas, anything that's going to just satisfy that almost for me, like the comforting feeling of, you know, like the sugar, the sweet, the things that I didn't allow myself to eat in real life. And the things that went down nicely, like and this no, is a terrible I... thing to say, but this, you have to come. That's going to have to come up. So you want things are going to be soft. So bread is going to become soft coming up. Why well, I did ice cream and cake in school and
0: college. I did ice cream because it's so simple to throw up. Yeah,
1: exactly. Ice yeah. cream. It's simple. It's delicious. It comes up easily. That's also something that's easy to throw up. Like it's you know. So you look for foods that are going to be easy because you don't want to be throwing up carrots. So she always had a lot of breads and, you know, cookies. And I don't even remember there'd be foods that I'd like sneak. And I would just, I felt so much shame around sneaking foods. And I must have thought, oh my gosh, she's going to be wondering where her food is going. You know, like, and so I was like, I just have to tell her that I'm really struggling. And that if, and I wasn't asking her to hide the food, but I wanted her to know that sometimes I might not want to have the bread because if I start on that pattern, then that might be something. And at that point, and that's again something I work was working with my eating disorder counselor of, you know, trying to say like, well, you can have a piece of bread. That doesn't mean it's going to have to be a trigger. Like, how can we stop that trigger? But I just wanted her to know that I was really struggling every time we went to her house and I kept sneaking food or I felt like stealing. I was stealing food. And I didn't want to feel like that. And I just wanted her to know that I needed to share with her that secret. And I pretty much thought she'd think I was insane because it's not having an eating disorder isn't always you know, just like a normal thing. And so I thought, you know, oh, she's gonna think less of me. She's gonna think I'm crazy. But I felt strong enough that I had to be authentic with her because I just felt like, again, enough is enough with who I'm pretending to be. I don't wanna pretend anymore. And while I did feel shame I wasn't ashamed of who I was. I was ashamed of the behaviors I might've been doing, but I wasn't ashamed right. of who I was. What'd she say when you told her? She was supportive. Like she probably thought I was crazy, but she didn't act like that. She didn't say anything like, oh, how could you do this? Or, oh, this is terrible. Or, oh, don't, you know, don't ever oh, come back. God, kind of don't it wasn't like that. It was very much like, I felt very close with her, very comfortable with her. I really felt like she I mean I still think she cares about me like I feel like we're we're close like so I felt like I could share with her and really hardly anyone else knew you know at that point and so it's, it wasn't something I, I openly talked about just because I I just wasn't ready to share share that side of me but then I felt much better knowing that she and Brett both knew and that was pretty much my support system in Oregon was Brett and Lorraine
0: the shell started coming the walls started coming yes. a little bit
1: there were Indeed. some
0: Holes in the wall, and then you guys moved. You mm-hmm. to move, close up the business, and you started your coaching,
1: right? I did. So I'd been coaching at the shop, but just it was you know shop and coaching kind of like combined together. We had a tri club, and I did one on one, but it was just you know kind of like everything mixed in. And so we sold the business, and we moved to the Baltimore, DC area, and I took a job at Power Bar, which I just loved my job. I got to kind of like marketing, sports marketing, but it was more my job was teaching sports nutrition. So I I met you, right? Yep. That's when we met. So I loved my job and that's when I started. So I worked for Power Bar and then I started coaching and doing sports nutrition on the side because I loved it so much in Oregon that I said, I am going to keep doing this. It brought me a lot of joy. I loved helping athletes to Just go from maybe feeling this certain way to like feeling like, oh, my gosh, I feel so awesome or watching them complete. And even today, like every time one of my athletes, whether it's a one on one client or someone that is on our team who maybe I don't coach personally, but they follow one of my training plans. I'm watching Ironman or there aren't too many races that have a live finish line, but Ironman does. And I watch, I love watching Ironman and I will watch them cross that finish line, like tears just streaming down my face. Cause I'm so happy for them, <laughs> for them. Like, it's not me. It's not like, it's just like, I'm just so
0: happy. No, that's such it's, a feat to ask your body put in the commitment, the time, yeah. the nutrition, all the things to get you to that point where you're going to you sign up for the race and then you yeah. do the race and you see it to the end. And there's something about starting something and finishing something and doing your best while you're there that it is just so genuine.
1: It is. It just, I tell my athletes or I just, I tell people, even if they're not mine, I say, it is a journey. It will transform your life. And you, whoever you start off being will not be who you become like well, you, are a, the other end, right? you are a different the other end right you're a different person and it is amazing and it is so life changing and even if i've got some athletes that never go back to ironman a lot stay or they stay or they might change like then they might do an ultra marathon because that's another challenging distance but something a little different but they stay in this world of endurance sports because it does change you and you feel different you just you can push your body in a way that's Makes you feel alive, mm-hmm. and it's just—it's an amazing feeling,
0: it really. Is. But yes,
1: I love that feeling. And then even if it's help- not me crossing the finish line,
0: right? And you were helping me and helping me with a food plan and all that mm-hmm. good stuff. And you were still getting sick then too.
1: Yeah, still, I was still throwing up, but I was more almost like self-aware. I was at that point trying to, okay, I'm gonna start to make changes. I am, you know. I want to start to be a better, I say, be a better person. Like, I don't want this to control me anymore. And so I really, that kind of like is a, as a turning point, it wasn't the turning point, but it's like that small, you make baby steps. That's a baby step towards becoming, you know, a more healthier version of you. And yeah, unfortunately that's when I tore my hamstring. So then I had to stop training in general, which does not help when you're an athlete that can't train. And then, You're trying to stop the eating disorder or disordered, you know, patterns that you've been doing for so long. Now you're not being able to burn uh, the same
0: amount of calories, which adds a whole lot to
1: this. Exactly. And you can't burn the stress and you feel hopeless. You can't change the situation you're in. It's like Mm -hmm. you can't make yourself heal any faster. And so then it's like definitely a trigger. And of course I was in therapy, still in therapy. And able to, you know, I was able to work through it. And I, I met the most amazing doctor in Washington, DC, who has unfortunately has passed. And he literally, I believe, saved my life. Like he was able to help show me what it means to be okay with who you are as a person because I thought my life was over having torn my hamstring. And for months and months, no one could figure out what was wrong. And I I was just in constant pain. And he was able to to show me through ultrasound, like. but he believed in me. He was able to, we didn't have a lot of money at this point. And he, a PRP costs $1,500 an injection. And he charged me $0. He would have me come in and he would say, I'm not going to charge you. And we are going to do this. And we're going to do this. And we're going to do this. And he gave me so much hope that I would be out of pain, that I would be able to be alive feeling again versus having to kind of hobble around with this torn hamstring. And he just showed me what it was to be like this amazing person who, you know, he could have charged, you know, thousands of dollars. And he saw this person that needed, almost like needed an angel. He was my angel. And now he is an angel in heaven. And I just... I was going to say he was, I've had a lot of defining moments, I feel like in my life or defining people that have changed me. And he was one that did that for me. People and get- I'll be forever grateful.
0: But in our path for a reason. And then one of the yes. reasons I reached out to you, Christina, was I saw in some of your emails, hey, I'm back. And you had found out an interesting diagnosis.
1: Yes. Are we talking about my EDS? The yeah. Is that like also- the ALO that. So I do have enough. An- you are. Yes. So that, so I've had a lot of injuries over the course of my life and a lot of things that are strange, like dislocations, things that, you know, migraines, TMJ, the wounds that don't heal, you know, just things that like after, like if you put them all together it, and you add it up. It makes sense, but just looking at each one individually, other people get migraines, other people have TMJ, other people tear things. But over the last couple of years, I've had you know doctors and physical therapists, and people say, "Do you have EDS?" And I was like, "No, no, you know, I don't." You know, like I didn't really know what that was, and I was like, what I didn't is- really bother looking it up because I'm like, "No, what is It's it? Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. Which it's is a connective it? tissue disorder. Okay. And so it's a genetic, it's a genetic condition, and it's been actually been passed down from my mom's side of the family. And unfortunately, the genes were expressed differently in me than they were in the other parts of my family, which I'm thankful that no one else really has the bad symptoms. And for me, mine is very mild compared to some people. Like the one I always say that was very clear to me is, is when some people cough, they can dislocate their ribs. Oh, wow. Um, because the connective tissue isn't strong enough. Like I have a friend who has EDS, and she was actually one of the ones that kept encouraging me and saying, Are you sure you don't have EDS? And so she equates it to your connective tissue is like spaghetti noodles. And so instead of your cartilage holding your body together, your tendons and ligaments holding things together, your body is more like a spaghetti noodle. It's just loose. It's hypermobile. And there's, I always forget if it's like eight or 10 or 12 different subtypes of EDS, but mine is hypermobile EDS. There's like vascular EDS. There's all different types of EDS. The vascular EDS is deadly. It is not what I have. Thank goodness. Mine is hypermobility. And so what it really means is that all of these years of injuries, of dislocating things, of all of these problems, of every time I got pregnant, I had to wear braces on my ankles because my ankles would, they were shifting. My pubic bone separated. I could barely walk with a pubic symphysis or the symphysis pubis. I always forget the name of that one. So, I finally was brought to my attention like, oh, you actually do have hypermobility, EDS. And it's a condition that I'll live with for my entire life. I have lived with it. And it's, it just, it reinforces my kind of, as that exercise physiologist in me and how all athletes have to be as strong as possible to prevent injury. Now, I literally, I have to live and breathe that. I can't really go more than a week without strength and conditioning before I'm at risk for tearing something or becoming yeah. too hypermobile. So I still have to wear braces and I do a lot of what we call physical therapy. It's not really physical therapy because the goal is not to heal like, oh, I have a torn you know rotator cuff. I need to heal it. Or, oh, I have an ACL tear. Mine is, I don't want to dislocate or shift my pelvis or trip and sprain or strain or tear something. And so my goal is keeping my body together. I hold myself together, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes perfect sense.
0: So all yeah. so that, it's a lot of core. All of this has been combined now to where you're like, I'm gonna get over this and I'm gonna be, mm-hmm. I'm gonna create this business. And as you told me, helping other people transform their lives is what Yeah. Lights lights you up and keeps you going. And at the same time, it has transformed your life. Tell us about what
1: 100%. So right now I am I still coach one on one for athletes, whether it's training, nutrition, I have some cycling, running, triathlon, athletes, swimming, I love to coach, but I don't really coach too many just one on ones. And then I, what I've done is I've created programs. I call them mini courses because they're, you know, a couple of weeks long, you know, a month or two long of things that I want athletes to know to help them that if they either don't have the time, the bandwidth, the finances to work with a coach one-on-one, I wanted them to have the opportunity to have access to the knowledge that I've gained over the years through my schooling and life and education and so i've created programs that are based on nutrition and strength and conditioning and i offer those to athletes as a kind of a diy and then i wanted to have a the ability to reach more athletes in a team setting where they get access to me as a coach access to all of my programs whether it's training plans or strength and conditioning plans nutrition plans that's all in my team membership and so anyone can join at any time and it's just We do swimming, cycling, running, triathlon, all different distances. And my overall goal is to help athletes transform their lives from wherever they are into what they want to be. So whether that's a marathon or doing a century or an Ironman, you know, a half Ironman, it's more of, I want everyone to just know that they're welcome into the group, to know that I'm there to support them, to encourage them, and that there are people that understand them. Because that's something that in our community of endurance athletes, I often find you're training by yourself or maybe you're in a team, but maybe the team doesn't, you don't talk about maybe the issues that you're going through, you know, like I have an injury or, oh my gosh, you know, coach Christina, I just, this just happened. Like, what should I do? So, like I'm there to be able to help and guide them with advice and you know, whether it's nutrition or training or just sometimes like stress or life. <laughs> and again, I'm not a psychologist, but I do tell my athletes I'm very open now about my past, and I try yeah. to be authentic because I, I want others to know that I understand that I have walked in those shoes. I know what it's like. You don't have to hide around me. You don't have to to be afraid to tell me anything. And that if they have an injury or an illness, or they feel like they might be starting down a pattern of unhealthy eating behaviors, that I will be able to help them to get help. Not me, because I'm not a psychiatrist, but I will help to guide them in a way to finding the help they need. I love that. that.
0: Which is definitely- (laughs) Go off and feel good. And feel like a million bucks. Do you work with women who have found themselves in their second wind? and have said, you know what? I've never been an athlete. And there's this like 5k, you know, that I want to sign up for. And I have no idea how to train, eat, or do that. And I don't want to ask anybody around me. I just want to do it. You know, maybe they
1: can you work with people. Yeah. like that? I do. So I do work one-on-one with anyone who has a goal for something, whether it's, you know, their first 5k, their, you know, a first triathlon or, you know, they, or someone who's been in the field for a while. So that's definitely something that, that I do. That's more, I would say for the more one-on-one side of things, the team is, I'd say is more athletes that are more kind of not self-sufficient, but they like, I've been, I've been training for a little while. I kind of want to get better. I want to plan to make myself better. I want the team to support me. But it's a little bit more like they they already know how to swim. They already feel comfortable kind of doing that. I mean, one-on-one, one-on-one, they don't more want to get better. Yeah. So say one-on-one is I'll take athletes that are like, I have a new athlete starting who's training for, it's a male. He's starting for a sprint triathlon and we're starting from zero. Like we're starting, like he knows how to swim. He's got a bike, but we are going to be starting from, you know, kind of square one. And I do actually tend to find most of my athletes are in their, I'd say 35 to 55. Most oh, wow. of my athletes are older families, have a, maybe like a career that's established. Doesn't mean I don't like younger athletes. It just tends to be more people, I guess, are attracted to me that are a little bit, you know, older in their second wins. They're, they're ready to accomplish. Maybe they've had their careers they're accomplished. They have a family. They feel like I need something else, a new goal, something to, to strive for. Love all
0: that. And I suggest that anyone in their second wind who's just thinking about, you know, I probably should run a marathon before I leave this earth. If that's something you are <laughs> desiring to do, it will change your life. I've done it. It will change your life. Christina's your girl. I know this as a former client, because I would go to her and say, you know, I ate this and it made me feel this way and I couldn't do this. What, what do you think I should do? And you would help me with that. And the different amounts of different kinds of foods. And it's just, you don't really deprive yourself. You know, I remember you said, maybe you should eat the whole avocado. Maybe you should have half
1: the avocado. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah Probably, we will never starve, never deprive, never, you know, never restrict. But sometimes when we're looking at our nutrition, we think, okay, I want an avocado, but do we need the whole thing or can I take a chunk of it? Or, you know, I'm a big believer of, especially when I did finally heal myself. Emotionally, physically, from the eating disorder. I said, I will never not and allow myself to have like something I want. So every single day, I have dark chocolate. Carly O'Gren was also, her episode has already happened. She's
0: 30-something. She is a baker. She struggled really bad with bulimia. And that's what she does every day. She has a cookie. And she's an yeah'. It tremendously and it does not have to trigger her. And life is good and she looks great. She feels great and she can help others, which is exactly what you're doing
1: now. And yeah, dark chocolate's delicious. Who doesn't want a little bit of that? It is delicious. And there's no reason you can't have foods that fit. Everything can fit. It's just in moderation. We just have to, you know, use portion control to make our plate. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. If you had, you know,
0: one kind of thing or one lesson that you, that you have learned through this mm-hmm. lifelong journey that you want to share like a mantra or something, or for example, mine was like, I have no expectations about any situation. I like means,
1: you like it that. That's it's a very healthy way to feel. I honestly, I have a lot and I do try to like talk about them regularly and I try to encourage, you know, whether it's through my athletes or social media, I try to talk about a lot of things because I do believe it's really important to be open. And honestly, I'd say the one that's coming to my mind right now is to be authentic with who you are as a person and to love yourself no matter what you've been through, no matter what maybe you've done in the past, no matter what challenges you faced, whether you have shame from an eating disorder, whether something's happened and you maybe haven't maybe felt love or self-love that you are loved as a person. You are perfect just the way you are. And it is okay to be authentic. And if people don't like you for being authentic, then that's on them, not on you. And that you don't need those people in your life. (laughs) They, they will, they were not your people.
0: That's right. They, people who need to be in your life at the time you're in will filtrate towards you. And those who are not going to serve the purpose that you need mm-hmm. to be in at that moment will kind of fall to the side. I've seen it happen mm-hmm. and it makes perfect sense. doesn't mean they're not
1: going to come back into your life another time, but it's so it's true. true. So true. They're just not, they're not what you need right then and there. And that's a hard one to learn is that people you think, that are your ride and die that they're going to be with you forever or that they're, they are really important to you. And if they're not there to support you or not, or not what you need that moment, it's okay to let them go. It's okay to, you know, to say they just, they're not right for me right now. And that's okay. And for someone who's a perfectionist or like a type a, like, you know, I have to be friends with everyone and I need, you know, everyone must like me. It's very hard for me to say it's okay. Just be you, be authentic, love yourself for who you are. Let those people go. They just, they weren't your people. And the people that are drawn to you are going to be there for you. And that's who you need. And I just want people to know that. Yes. Even if it's hard to believe. Wow. You really
0: shared it all. I really appreciate that. How can people find you?
1: Okay. So you can find me. I have a website. My business is called Fueled Coaching and Nutrition. So you can find me on my website where I'm on social media. We have a free Facebook group for anyone that wants to get tips and tricks. I like to go live and do videos. And I feel like that's where I can give back. And so that's called Train and Fuel. Or you can find me if you're more of an Instagram. You can find me at Fueled Coaching is my Instagram handle. Those are kind of my only places right now that I'm, I'm out you, and about. <laughs>
0: are you still doing videos in your kitchen for different food I products?
1: haven't since moving here. So the last I was doing those in Texas, but we don't have an island here. And I think that is honestly, I've been thinking like, I'd love to do more videos, but without an island, it's really hard to like set, I guess I could just get like a tripod or something and set up. But, and to be honest, now that we have toddlers, it is so hard to keep the kitchen clean (laughs) because when I was either pre-kids or pregnant or had babies. They're in a high chair. And even if they make a mess, it's like in the high chair. It's not like all over the kitchen. And now it's like, it's like a whirlwind, and your kitchen has gone through. And it's like, but I do love, I love to cook and share, and I do share recipes. And so on my, one of my, so websites, I actually have a couple just depending on where you come and find me. But on the fieldcoaching.com, I do have free recipes for athletes that are, you know, snacks and meals yeah. or recovery recipes. I love recipes. I just, I feel like cooking is love. Sometimes it's love against like self-harm kind of love. But once you're loving yourself, you can cook in a way that you're actually showing love to yourself instead of that self-harm. I so love that. I do love the recipes. I just haven't done any videos in the kitchen. Often I'm in this office, which is not as not as fun, not as exciting.
0: But we will look for those because I know they're going to come back because those are good. Well, thank you. I, I hope so.
1: Lot. I learned a lot. <laughs>
0: So Christina, I want to thank you so much for your time today and for your vulnerability and for sharing a really
1: tough subject. Thank you. It's hard, but honestly, it's something It's refreshing for me to talk about it because if I can change one person's life, if I can stop one person from going down the path that I went on, it would be worth it to me because it is so hard. And there are days when you're in the trenches of that eating disorder that you don't ever think you will go one day without throwing up. And you wonder, how can I ever get through this? And it's, I want people to know that if you're in those trenches and you are fighting, keep fighting. And if you are feeling like you're starting to have disordered eating patterns, thoughts, I want you to stop before you go down that route and seeking help. Actually, May is Mental Health Awareness Month, I believe. And I am not ashamed to talk about, you know, counseling, therapy, And I'm a big believer in talking to someone who is more knowledgeable than you. So like I could talk to my husband, but he'd be like, well, just great. Or you look good. What are you you talking about? You know, like, so you need someone that's going to be able to help guide you and, you know, channel your thoughts into something that's going to help. So don't as hard as it is, and as maybe embarrassing or just nerve wracking as is, is to reach out for someone for help know that it's okay. It's normal. And I am an open book. So if anyone has any questions about anything, please, you can always reach out and ask me a question. It's not, no question is ever too personal or too.
0: She will answer and she will answer. Mm -hmm, I will. And you're just a great person. And I really appreciate you. And I'm so glad we met six years ago. I'm so glad we reconnected and I I thank you for your time and your newsletters are great. So keep going with those. I will keep reading them. And once I get over this line, maybe I'll do another race of something and I'll get you to train me again. You
1: should. Just pick something for fun. Just Just something that lights you up and something that's, you know, not even about time or, you know, placement. Just, you know, I like races that are kind of unusual because that way it's less about the time and more about just finishing something kind of cool that other people aren't doing.
0: Just getting to the starting line is 90%. of
1: yes. the journey to there, pushing yourself and feeling good. And I know how hard it is with Lyme disease. It's very tough, but you will get there. We all have our things. So thank you so much, Christina, for your time today. You're
0: thank you. And until next time, breathe in your second wind. Thank you for listening today. I hope that something you heard made you smile